Welcome to the Lutheran Outdoor Ministry Podcast. This is the place to be to hear all the latest news and information about the world's finest outdoor ministry network. And now, as always, here's your host, the Executive Director of Lutheran Outdoor Ministries, Mr. Don Johnson. We might be doing two or three within a three-week period, and then... Um... And then we go two or three months, and it's been a couple months since we recorded our last one. I don't think it has a huge or extensive audience. It's pretty much available to people who go onto our website and see that there's a podcast there that, that they can listen into a podcast. And the, the, uh, most of the people who would listen to it would be Lutheran outdoor ministry professionals executive directors, program directors, associate directors. That, that's like what that. I figured, too. That's actually yeah. what I figured. So, um, and, and what about your podcast? You, uh, your podcast, uh, you have like a huge audience. I, I actually, um, yeah, pinch me. I do actually, a lot of people listen to me. So my podcast, uh, I do bi-weekly or every other week. I never remember whether bi-weekly actually does mean every other. And uh, yeah, and it's essentially... I reach, I don't know, you know, it's, it, podcasts are interesting in terms of their metrics because you can know how many people download your episodes, but you don't know necessarily whether they actually listened to them or not. Yeah, so right. they, have, they haven't actually figured out the whole metrics thing with podcasts, but I have, you know, thirty to $50,000 downloads um, um, on an episode depending you know, so for me, it's just a brand extension. I do a free blog, free blogs every couple of weeks from my blog, and yeah. the podcast is just a sort of a different kind of uh, platform for folks, and gives me the opportunity to bring on. You know, I just generally keep a running list of questions that I think that executive directors across any imaginable uh, sector, imaginable geography. About sixty-five percent of them are executive directors. About six, about thirty-five percent of them are twenty-five percent, maybe are board members, and the rest are you know smattered around development and communications. My blog reaches about a hundred thousand unique visitors a month from about two hundred countries, um, yeah. and that has you know I I never in my wildest dreams imagined that it, that that would become such a such a valuable platform for people. So it's lovely, actually. So the stuff you put on your blog, is that available for public consumption as long as credit is given to you? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, to me, to me, it's actually intended to be shared, really done. And, um, you know, as long as it's attributed to me and it has a little thing that says, hey, you can subscribe to her blog every week if you, you know, go here to the subscribe button or something like that. Yeah, I, I, lo I, I love that. I, I, people, I appear, my stuff appears in all kinds of newsletters all over the place. Yeah, I, and one of the reasons I ask is it's personal because I, in my capacity as the executive director of Lutheran Outdoor Ministries, which is an association of 121 camps and retreat centers affiliated with the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, ELCA, um, I'm invited from time to time, maybe seven, eight times a year, by a board of directors of one of our member organizations to lead them in a weekend board development retreat. That nice. Sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And I see your stuff on the blog, and mm, it's good stuff. And uh, uh, it's right on from my experience. 
I don't have too many good creative ideas of my own, but I sure am good at stealing stuff. So, well, it's I I, um, I write with the intention of being stolen. So right. I you know I have some other you know uh, obviously other um, avenues that uh, generate profit for me. The blog is actually intended to be free and intended to be you know useful resources for folks and also just a good way to get my name out there. So sure, yeah, yeah. good. Are you okay with this preliminary time being on the record? I mean, I think people would have kind of fun just listening to the last five minutes. Oh, uh, yeah, that, that I think I'm. I don't remember saying anything I wouldn't. Uh, yeah. I, I'd feel uncomfortable about now, so, not at all. Yeah. So I mean, I didn't tell you we were officially starting, but I, I think just uh, for people to hear some of your um, experience and the kind of stuff you're doing and. The number of people you're impacting yeah. with both your sure. own. Why don't, yeah, sure. Why don't I just give you a good, like the sort of quick, the sort of the genesis of my becoming a. Yeah, sort of that's a what I would like yeah. to open up with. And just so everybody knows, I'm uh, interviewing right now Joan Gary. And Joan Gary is a very well known and much in demand consultant for nonprofit organizations and. Um, particularly with um, helpful with boards of directors and having good uh, advice and counsel and guidance for boards of directors of not-for-profit organizations. And it's our good fortune to get a little bit of Joan's time in this podcast, and we're very grateful for that. And for those of you who are listening in, you're not going to want to miss, in November, the great gathering that will be sponsored by the Outdoor Ministries Connection, of which Lutheran Outdoor Ministries, LOM, is a part. And certainly, it's going to be a must event for the executive directors and CEOs of our outdoor ministry organizations. I'm sure that board members, I mean, if you could bring your whole board of directors, it would be a great thing. But Joan Gary is here with us this morning to talk with us a little bit about good practice with boards of directors of nonprofit organizations. And I'm thrilled that she's with us. Joan, thank you. And uh, let's begin with you telling us a little bit about how you got to the place of giving the kind of advice that you do. Um, so thank you very much, Don. And I, um, I'm actually really excited about being a part of the great gathering, which sounds, I don't, it, it sounds very spiritual, doesn't it? So yeah, I will be on hand and doing a, I think I'm doing a keynote on Monday of the, of the gathering. And I understand that this is a, an event of, uh, the first time you're doing an event like yeah, that. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it's exciting to, uh, that you're being able to bring folks together. And I feel uh, quite lucky that I will be able to share some of my thoughts and insights about uh, nonprofit leadership with all of you. And, um, you know, it's such an interesting question, Don, about how it is that people started listening to me. <laughs> and it actually kind of starts with, uh, so, you know, I had a corporate career for about 14 years, mostly in the media business. I was part of the management team that launched MTV and uh, spent seven years there and then seven years at Showtime. And um, then I decided I kind of wanted to, uh, this sort of, sort of pine, part of finding my path was really realizing that I wanted to make a difference in the world in some meaningful way. And so I applied for and amazingly got a job as a CEO of a 
large uh, LGBT nonprofit called GLAD. And um, after I left, I thought, you know, I learned a lot about um, what it takes to lead a nonprofit. And I arrived to a nonprofit that was in very deep financial trouble and pulled it, kind of pulled the truck out of the ditch. I kind of figured I had some things to say that people might want to hear. And so I, I became a consultant. And then uh, in, I think it was 2012, I went to somebody and I said, you know, I probably need a website. I, you know, I probably, <laughs> I probably need a website. And, I, and, the, and the person asked me if I did some writing and I showed some writing samples. And the person said, you know, you probably should write a blog. And I don't know, within three or four years, um, I and today, I reach about 100,000 unique visitors a month from about 200 countries around the world. And I believe that what makes it unique, uh, there are several things that make it unique. One is that I speak to both board members and staff members together. I don't see them as siloed entities. My basic philosophy is that a really thriving nonprofit is quite like a twin engine jet. And that there's a board engine and a staff engine and setting up there in the cockpit is the executive director and the, uh, and the board and the board chair. And it's a little bit of a different kind of way of thinking about um, the power dynamics in a nonprofit. But I do believe that boards and staffs lead together in important ways. And so my podcast talks to board and staff leaders it's also um, everything else that I found out there was fairly clinical and instructive. I wanted to be story-based, played pretty much every position on the nonprofit field. And so I had some stories to tell from almost every angle. And uh, I have a pretty good sense of humor, I'm told. And so part of the humor of my blog is also to uh, help nonprofit leaders to um, kind of remind them that there's joy in the work that they do because oftentimes it feels so important and so urgent and not that it isn't but if you live in that space all the time and you don't take a minute to breathe or have a good laugh or just honestly just be reminded that what you're doing is really quite noble and joyful you can burn out very, very quickly. And so I think that's been part of the, the success of my blog. And then I also have a podcast called Nonprofits Are Messy, which you can find on iTunes. And, uh, and then I wrote a book called, has a very novel title, Don. It's called Joan Gary's Guide to Nonprofit Leadership. You know, publishers tell, to tell you what the book should be called based on Google searches. And then the other thing that I do um, is that I really feel like that there are so many, like two-thirds, two-thirds of the 1.5 million nonprofits in America, and that would include, you know, faith-based organizations and churches and synagogues and schools and hospitals, but two-thirds of that 1.5 million have budgets under half a million dollars, mm -hmm. and a big chunk of those have budgets under a quarter of a million dollars. They're never going to be able to afford a consultant. They're never going to be able to afford a coach. And so we created an online membership site for specifically for board and staff leaders of small nonprofits. And it's a subscription-based membership site called the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, offering content and community to that specific cohort. And um, if I may plug, it's nonprofitleadershiplab.com, where you can learn more about that kind of resource that could be just, could be just what you're looking for if you're on the smaller side. So anyway, so that's, that's my... My, one of one of my team members refers to it as Joan Landia. That's Joan yeah. Landia. 
and, and all of that, especially your uh, respect for small budget nonprofits, is perhaps why you are so popular with LOM organizations. Well, it's, it's funny too, Don, because I, I do think that the, the other thing is that people um, who, particularly people who run smaller organizations, they really need to feel like somebody's in their court, right? And, and so I, I believe that part of what's happened is that <clears throat> people have been really sort of hungry to have a champion. I sometimes refer to myself as a born-again nonprofit evangelist. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, because it wasn't really, it really wasn't part of the path I imagined, but here I am being sort of an advocate and a champion for those folks who are um, really trying to change the world or trying to make the world different or uh, more joyful or more spiritual, whatever it might be. So it feels very, um, it's very rewarding and humbling to do the work. Well, I love your analogy of the twin engine jet plane. And I'm realizing that this podcast, we hope there's a lot of our uh, outdoor ministry organization board of directors members yep. who will listen to this podcast. But knowing that there'll probably be more uh, staff and particularly executive directors listening to the podcast, let me ask you, um, what, what, in your opinion, after working with all the boards of directors you have and your own personal experience, what are some of the most important things that an executive director can do to cultivate a good relationship with the executive director's board of directors? Uh, so what's the, what are some of the, the, the tactics for a CEO or executive director to build a strong, uh, to help cultivate a strong board? Yes. Yeah, okay. So um, a, a couple things come to my mind, Don. The first one is that, that I believe really strongly that executive directors should be highly engaged in board recruitment. Um, even though it is ultimately the board's responsibility to vote in a board member, uh, you'd be foolish not to engage in uh, engage your executive director in that process because they're out and about and they're the people that are most likely to be sort of interacting with folks that might make good, um, good board members. And so uh, I like to recommend to CEOs that they get involved in board recruitment, that they become, if you have your, you know, if you have committees and you have a board nominating committee, um, I like to see CEOs become ex officio members of the board governance or nominating committee. And to help identify pro uh, prospects that add skills and expertise that your board really needs to support your work. And I'm not just talking about, you know, clearly not talking just about friends, I'm talking about legit um, candidates who have a deep passion for what you're doing. So that's one thing. I think the second thing, I do think about the board chair and the CEO sitting in the cockpit of this twin engine jet. And I, and I do believe that creating a really strong partnership there is very, very important. And not to, to, clearly the board chair is your sort of quote unquote boss, but to really see yourself in a thought partner relationship with your, um, with your board chair. The third thing uh, that comes to mind for me is the importance of focusing in on building a leadership pipeline on your board. You know, far too often the board, I, I joke that the board chair is actually 
elected because he or she has chosen to go to the bathroom during the vote and people write her name in and boom, she returns from the restroom and voila, she's the board chair. So lots and lots and lots of reluctant board chairs in the nonprofit space. And um, you need somebody who really, really wants the job and is enthusiastic about doing the job the very best they can. And it's not an easy job. And so what you have to actually do is you have to engage in a process of building a leadership, a leadership pipeline. And that's, that's part of that is recruitment to make sure that you're actually recruiting people with leadership attributes. And the other piece of that is giving people on your board leadership opportunities so that you can test drive them and so that they can sort of exercise that muscle and see, oh, I really enjoy leading this initiative or this committee. So the leadership pipeline is, feels really important. And then the last thing, and, and I, I feel like executive directors drop the ball on this all the time. They expect boards to just do, um, that they play this role of kind of nagging their board to do the things that boards are supposed to do. And um, that power dynamic is never successful. And I don't believe that nonprofit executive directors often enough understand that part of their job is really to feed the board. And I, and I mean that um, metaphorically. And um, I was talking to one of your colleagues as we prepped for the, uh, for the great gathering. And um, this is more of a Quaker metaphor than it is a Christian metaphor, but stay with me. I, I think about when you recruit a board member that you want to recruit somebody who has a passion for what you are doing and that they're, that their pilot light about that organization or that mission is kind of stoked, higher, bigger, more visible, if you will. I see the role, one of the big roles of a CEO to cultivate a strong board is to continually um, stoke that pilot light, that it doesn't just stay stoked. It has to be fed with stories, with inspiration, with appreciation, so that that light, frankly, gets bigger rather than smaller. Because I've seen far too many organizations that don't feed their boards, and those folks, their pilot lights go out. So I don't know if that makes sense, but but um, and, and yes, I do some work with Quaker schools, so I try to I, I try to do some interfaith stuff as I'm talking to you today, Don. Mm -hmm. So, um, Joan, uh, the flip side of that question is, if I'm a board member of an organization, and I know that it's in the best interest of our organization that the board and the CEO have a good working relationship and uh, that they can dance the dance that they need to dance, what are some recommendations that you have for the members of boards as to cultivating a good relationship, board of directors, with the CEO? Uh, great question, Don, actually. First of all, to recognize that cultivating a strong relationship with the CEO is an important thing, right? I think that oftentimes boards don't see that as a priority, and um, and that can be a challenge. But you're all on the same plane together. You ought to be in you ought to be in real relationship with one another. So, just a couple of thoughts on that, uh, Don. I um, so I have this joke that the official insect of the nonprofit board is the cricket. <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, uh, so stay with me. The reason I do is because 
so often I talk to executive directors and CEOs who say, I sent this email out to the board members. I asked them if they would, you know, uh, help uh, in, encourage people to come to our event. I sent out a, a note about a big success we had. And do you know what I heard, Joan? <clears throat> and I say, well, what did you hear? And they'll say, crickets, that no one responds. Mm. Board members are busy. They have day jobs. They're mm. volunteers. You can't underestimate how deflating it is for a CEO to get crickets from their board members. I've had people say, oh my gosh, great news. We just got a $50,000 grant that was non-budgeted. We put it in. We thought maybe there was a, an off chance we'd get it. You know, we're excited and it's really going to allow us to broaden the scope and reach of our work. Uh, I hope you're as excited as we are. <laughs> Nothing. So, the first piece of advice to me is please respond to your CEOs. Um, now, I think on the flip side, the executive directors have an obligation not to barrage their boards, because I hear that as well, but be strategic about how you interact with them, especially between board meetings. And if you do that, you, can't, you should be able to expect that your board members will, in fact, respond and engage between meetings. The second thing is it joined the board for a reason. You didn't join to sit at a table and just say that you were on this board. Um, you took the initiative to go into the boardroom. So take the initiative to raise your hand when you're in the board meeting, right? Or when you're participating, raise your hand to say, I would like to help on this. I can't tell you what kind of energy and enthusiasm that builds among executive directors when board members initiate interest in a particular special project or committee assignment. And then just one last thing too, is that I think that, um, I, I believe that board meetings are amongst the, miss, the biggest missed opportunities in the nonprofit sector because they are an opportunity to engage and enrich and really uh, inspire board members about the work that's being done so that they can be really good ambassadors and champions. And so um, a lot of times board members will complain that the board meetings were boring, that they could have called in and checked their emails. Um, but you have to be part of the solution. If the board meeting's not working for you, uh, explain that. Don't just complain, but offer some suggestions as well. As a person who is a CEO relating to a board, and as a person who serves from time to time on boards of directors, wow, I just was uh, reinvigorated in some of the basic fundamental concepts of what's important going both ways. So thank you very much for that. Uh, oh, you're welcome. And, and they aren't, they're neither complicated nor difficult, right? No, I mean, one of the things you started out with was have fun and right. um, enjoy it and enjoy life. And, and another thing is uh, communicate. Get back and forth. Have a two-way communication. And, and then, uh, you know, the whole thing about relationship is so important all the way around. So now, with uh, some of that in mind, 
there are all also um, boundaries that executive directors and board members should have with each other. And I'm wondering if you would be willing to just uh, share some of your thoughts on some of the most significant, important boundary issues that we should be aware of and should be observing. So you've been a CEO and you've been a board member. Tell me more about what you mean when you talk about sort of uh, observing boundaries. Because I I found, uh, you know, I I think that's a really interesting question and I want to make sure that that I sort of want to get inside your head a little bit about the question. There are certain functions that a board is responsible for and where the bottom line is that it's the board's responsibility. The board engages an executive director to carry out the day-to-day operations of the organization in accordance with the mission of that the board has identified for the organization, mm-hmm. and the values of the organization. In my observation, sometimes, um, I, I would say, especially with low-budget organizations, there can be a lot of confusion as to um, what's the staff responsibility, what's the board responsibility. The budget um, requires a lot more direct involvement in operational stuff of board members than you would find in a multi-million dollar organization. Uh, does that help you understand where I'm coming from? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's, that's why I was kind of asking is because I think that in small budget organizations, those boundaries are much more porous than they might be if you're talking about UNICEF or, you know, a $300 million legal aid society or something like that. So, because you have people on your board that are actually engaged, oftentimes very actually engaged in the actual work of the organization. Uh, And so I I think probably, again, depending on the size of your staff, I think that board members have to remember that part of the the job of the executive director is to hire and manage and evaluate staff. And I see um, that as a big boundary, a big boundary issue for board members if they feel like the this board, the staff member has made the executive director has made a bad hire, and they want to get in right away and fix it. You've actually got to give your executive director room because you have to have some basis for evaluating that executive director, right? Who hasn't made a bad hire in their career? It's what you do about it that matters. And so I see that as a place where I find sometimes that the board, um, that those boundaries get crossed in a way that's not very, um, not very helpful. And that what I always recommend is that there be an annual performance review process and that um, unless that staff member is um, engaging in some kind of fraudulent activity, um, that it is, in fact, the ED's purview to um, hire, manage, evaluate, and if necessary, fire staff. You know, it's funny, I think the budget is an interesting one. I, I do think ultimately the board approves the budget, but I do th- I actually think of that as a very um, partnered activity between the executive director and the, the, the treasurer of the board. If I was an executive director, I would not want a budget shoved down my throat nor do I want a budget that has been rubber stamped by my board. I want them to own that board, own that budget, own the revenue numbers so that they feel like they have skin in the game about hitting them. 
So there's that. Other important boundaries. Clearly, the sort of I see the biggest boundary problem generally is around board members uh, trying to tell the executive director to what to do around staff. The last thing I want to say is that I think sometimes the CEOs set boundaries that aren't actually totally legit. So, for example, I think that CEOs oftentimes they think they they're pretty sure they know best because you know you're a board member, you're a volunteer. And I totally know best because I live and breathe this work every day. So I have sort of an arrogance about that, maybe. That can find its way into any kind of longer-term planning that you do, is that I might want to keep the board as far away from that as possible because I know best. So I have seen boundaries get set that actually aren't in the best interest of the organization. So it's a, that's why I asked the question about boundaries, because I think uh, both entities can set up boundaries that aren't necessarily healthy for the organization, and then there are some boundaries that that are important uh, that are important to instill in the relationship. You're thinking a little bit more on the boundaries theme. Sure. You mentioned at the outset that uh, with the twin engine uh, jet plane, mm-hmm. that the two people in the cockpit are the executive director and the board chairperson. Correct. I guess my first question would be, uh, who do you see as being the pilot and who's the co-pilot? And the number two question is, in quick follow-up to that, uh, well, it, it's around a concept that I feel has, um, is really important, and that is the board is not the board unless the board acts together as the board. And at what point does the board chairperson have, have extra special responsibilities that other board members don't. So if you could talk about yeah, that. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think of, I, I see them as co-pilots, but clearly, ultimately, the board is responsible for the hiring, evaluation, and God forbid, the firing of an executive director. So the board chair is clearly the, the pilot. It's interesting because sometimes there are weak board chairs and very strong executive directors. You'd go into that cockpit and you'd, you'd, be, you'd be pretty sure the executive director was in charge, right? Um, but what you're really looking for is a thought partnership there, right? And that's, that's the role a board chair can most effectively play with regard to the executive director, is making sure they're having conversations, if you'll excuse, I'll continue the, the flight metaphor at the right altitude, that they're talking about things coming down the pike, they're anticipating things, and that the executive director is, is, has built a relationship of trust with that board chair such that, that she or he can bring to the board chair problems, challenges that they foresee. It's interesting because executive directors tend to be type A, high-performing individuals that don't really like to tell people that things are, might go awry. But if they do not, it's at their own peril, really, because if in the cockpit, that's the kind of trusting relationship that should be built. Do I think that board chairs have special powers? I consider board chairs to be responsible for that thought partnership with the CEO, responsible for ultimately building the board team. I'm a big Yankee fan and think that there's a guy on the New York Yankees. He's not the owner, but he's, he's in the back office. His name is Brian Cashman. Oh gosh, you're wearing a Red Sox hat. Oh my God. 
I made the wrong baseball analogy, Don. <laughs> you know, I was thinking to myself, oh, dang, <laughs> this guy's got a Boston accent. Where am I going here? All right, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 it's time to sign off for this podcast. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for having me, Don. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, I see board chairs kind of, I don't know who you're, that, you know, I don't know who Beantown's uh, Brian Cashman is, but Brian Cashman's kind of the architect of the team of the Yankees. And I kind of see board chairs like Brian Cashman or your equivalent up there in Boston. And um, his name is. <laughs> yeah. So building a really, really good team and facilitation, leadership. You know, making sure that we're getting the most out of that, that 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 engine is high functioning and ignited to action. The truth of the matter is, Don, I see more, especially with nonprofits, I see more rogue board chairs than in any place else that 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 the board detaches and they say, oh, my God, thank God, Don is the board chair let this guy carry the water and I'm going to, you know, if you need me, let me know. But, you know, I might be away for a couple of weeks. The biggest challenge I see is that um, the board uh, actually exonerates its own responsibility by deferring to the board chair. And a good board chair will do their very best to push back. And a board chair who has an ego might just very well take that on and end up making decisions on behalf of the whole board. And that is not the rule. We're getting near the end of this um, podcast, and uh, at least the time we have allotted for it. Uh-huh. And I'm wondering if, if you would just take a, a couple of minutes to share with us what what are the some of the most common mistakes you see board of directors making and uh, CEOs making as they relate to their board of directors? You've already talked about a few during this uh, time that we've had. Are there any others that just stand up in the back of your mind as being repeating over and over again? Yeah, there, there are there are two of them that really stick out for me as you ask that question, Don. Um, the first one is the search process to find a CEO is very labor intensive, very time intensive, and uh, it, yeah, it, it, boards have to put in a lot of extra time. And when they hire what they believe to be a great CEO, one of the common mistakes they do that may, that they make is they essentially go on vacation. <laughs> they say, oh my gosh, we've just hired Don as the CEO. All right, all right, we did such a great job, didn't we, uh, uh, Didn't we, my friends? All right, so we can actually just take a back seat and let Don drive now. Big mistake, right? Because Don needs that other engine working at, uh, at max capacity. And then the second one is, please don't get me started on performance reviews and compensation discussions. I cannot even tell you how many organizations, and it doesn't matter the number of zeros on that budget. It doesn't matter. Board members are historically very, very poor at the discipline and rigor of conducting performance reviews of their executive directors and of botching the compensation discussions. And in so doing, devaluing 
the executive director. I can't tell you how many times I've had um, clients who've said, I just went through my performance review and the comp discussion. And I, I, I really like working here, but, but like when the head, next time a headhunter calls, I'm actually going to take their call. So I feel like boards uh, often make the mistake of, of thinking the ED is going to stick around forever or not wanting to provide constructive criticism for fear they will leave. And then having compensation discussions that are not carefully thought out, do not put them, the board does not put themselves in the shoes of the executive director. I mean, I have the, the, the comments people have literally made to me like, well, this is a nonprofit. Of course, we can't afford to pay very much. Or, of course, this is a nonprofit. I mean, think about how lucky this executive director is to have this job. Why should she be paid? You know, why should we be paid a fair salary? I hear it all the time. I just wish that people could hear those things come out of their own mouths and recognize how problematic they are to be heard. And of course, just because we're very fortunate and enjoy the work that we're doing, doesn't mean that we can't be compensated fairly for it. That's it's absolutely right. Uh, yeah, it's absolutely right. I remember somebody telling me one time I, I, when I was running a nonprofit, my nonprofit, you know, they said, boy, I, I don't really like my job very much, but you're so lucky because you clearly love your job. To which I said, well, I'm not, I'm not lucky. I actually applied for this job, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Well, Joan, let me ask you, this is my last question, okay? I'm ready. And my last question is, if you were seat, sitting in my seat and you were asking the questions, is there a question or two that you would have asked that I have not asked you to respond to? You know, I, I want to get back to what I said earlier, Don, about the relationship the CEO needs to cultivate with the board. And I... I do think that there's kind of a do for me mentality between the CEO and the board. Would you please do for me? Like you joined this board to, to do for us. And I just really want to encourage executive directors to really to, to invest in a relationship, a real relationship with their board members. Meet with them. Don't just ask them to do stuff. Ask them you know, get feedback, ask them uh, like what's working about their board service. What could be working better? Ask them why they joined. Help have a good understanding of what success looks like for them. Right. So Don, if you meet with me and I'm a board member, so, you know, maybe you ask me, look, Joan, when you're finished your term, what do you want to be able to say is the contribution you made to this organization? And get me thinking about that. And, and you write that down so that you can be part of helping to deliver on that success for me. And I, and I don't think that people think about board members in this regard, executive directors. I think with a lot of people, I often say that executive directors see board members as human ATMs. And people join boards for a, a three-dimensional host of reasons. They care about the mission. They wanna have a voice. Yes, of course they want to be great ambassadors, and if they can help raise money, all the better. But I, I need to know that the CEO understands me, my motivations, and really understands what success looks like for me, so that together we can shape the path that leads us there. Joan, this has been 
for me personally, this has been a great conversation. I'm taking away a whole lot from it. I saw you taking notes the whole time, Doc. (laughs) It has has just um, enhanced my eagerness and excitement about seeing you again live in person at the Great Gathering. And I really am grateful, and on behalf of the whole outdoor Lutheran Outdoor Ministry Network, I want to say thank you for spending the time with us. Thank you for all the work that you are doing. What an incredibly important ministry, and what a way of making a contribution in the world. And I am so grateful for all of that. We'll be seeing you in November. Well, thank you. I look forward to it. And I uh, think of this as a bit of an appetizer. And, yeah, um, yeah. and you're right. I think that um, the work that I do feels very mission-driven. I often think of myself as somebody who is in the business of helping the helpers. And so I look forward to meeting you and all of the folks associated with Outdoor Ministries in November. Uh, And I hope that I am able to add some real value to the work that you do. You already have, and I'm confident that you will much more. All right. Thanks, Don. Thank you, John. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the only official Lutheran Outdoor Ministry podcast in the entire world. Until next time, check out the Lutheran Outdoor Ministries website or our Facebook page. So long for now from the Lutheran Outdoor Ministries World Headquarters. On behalf of Don Johnson, have a wonderful day.